0: Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch.
1: Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today, my guest is the CMO of Sysdig, and that is Janet Matsuda. We had a fantastic conversation about one of my favorite topics, that's messaging. If I were to tell you the type of CMO I've been, it's definitely a messaging first mindset, but I learned so much from Janet here today. She shared how she forms messaging, starting with the type of CMO she is working with her senior leadership team, including the CEO, but more importantly to me, an actual framework for how to develop messaging and how to ensure that that messaging spreads throughout your organization, leveraging elements like enablement. This is a fantastic episode to think about how to be consistent with what you go out to in the market. so thrilled that you're here. Let's dig in and talk about your journey. What was your path to becoming a CMO?
0: Well, I started with um, computer science, right? That was my undergrad. But I had worked for my dad in a small business. He was a pharmacist for years. And I thought what I wanted to do was run a business. And I got advice that um, not to major in business, but to first understand some technology. And so, started out in computer science, transitioned to product management, kind of came up that path, went back and got my MBA. And then, you know, I've really gone on the product management, product marketing side. And then, you know, I flipped and I went over and worked for sales for a while. And I ran North America marketing, you know, closely tied to how we're going to sell and marketing operations. So I've really seen both sides. In fact, I had a job at, um, I worked for AMD with ATI, the gaming part, um, you know, ATI gaming cards, and I worked with professional graphics. So I had a job where I had a bunch of engineers and product and no marketing. There was a CMO there. And so I was partnered with the CMO. I've really taken kind of a horizontal path, uh, to getting into the CMO role.
1: With that stint that you had on, as you called it, the other side, the sales side, Did you ever have temptation to go more the VP of sales, more revenue side ongoing? Or did you at some point know that the CMO gig was right for you?
0: I can't say that I knew the CMO gig was right for me. I would say I was thinking more GM. But when I was on the sales side, um, you know, I was responsible for marketing. um, And I worked a lot with inside sales there. However, the difference between sales and marketing, I love to sell, okay? But the difference between sales and marketing is in marketing, you're really crafting the message. It's more one to many, so your impact is a little broader, where in sales, you're kind of optimizing for kind of the tail end. You're not influencing the product as much or the messaging as much. And I like being kind of in where the sausage gets made, I guess, and, and, and driving that versus uh, taking what someone else has put together and, and selling it.
1: That's interesting. I, you know, you hit on this idea of crafting the message, and and I've always felt that in organizations, you hear about marketing wanting a story to be told, but then sometimes salespeople almost crafting their own story or adapting that story. How do you think it is best served? Is this something that should be told by marketing?
0: So, as marketing develops the message, they need to talk to customers. They need to talk to salespeople and they need to talk to in the technology business systems engineers. In fact, sometimes they're the best source because what you want to do, you know, marketing exists to help sales sell, right? You bring customers into the organization, you help them drive them through the process. And so it has to be a partnership and, and it has to be messaging that they believe in. They were part of the creation of it and therefore they want to carry it forward. I don't think we're giving them messaging. I think we're guiding the creation of messaging that we then package so that they can use.
1: So I don't want to get too deep into go to market because we'll, we'll chat about that in the second half. But I've always thought as you describe that answer that one of the things that marketers always do is they kind of create that V1 of a sales deck and then they hand it over to sales and then sales starts to iterate from there. How do you think about jumping into something as simple as a sales deck as a CMO when you enter a company like SysDick?
0: Well, first of all, when I come into a new job, I don't start with the deck itself, but really two paths, like the messaging guide, you know, that you're going to have in the deck and they kind of are the yin and yang because you you want that messaging guide. So your marketing team is going to be on message. And then the sales deck is really so the sales team is on message. But first you need to start with kind of what was the founding principle? What is it that makes the company special? And then understand what does it do for customers on a day-to-day basis? What do they love about the product? How do they go from the, I call, you know, I don't, I didn't make this up, like Lockhead and Christopher Lockhead and these guys, but you think about what's the from to, you know, what is the pain point? What's going on in their life that we can make better? And so if you really start with that, and then you build up with, okay, here are the three benefits. Here are the ways that we get the benefit. You know, here's the elevator pitch, put the deck together, and then you just have to use it, right? Use it, beta test it with some reps, your own customer discussions, and that's kind of how you get to the goal. So it's a,
1: it's interesting as you described coming in and establishing those messaging guidelines understanding what story needs to be told. And as you said, what is the vision? What is the mission of this company? Now, when when a product marketer enters a company, they, they kind of got to do that with some of the people you mentioned. I'm curious as a CMO, how much of that do you try and take from the CEO who's hired you?
0: So one of the reasons I'm assisting today is because Suresh Vasudevan and I you know, have worked together before and that CEO-CMO relationship is really critical. And you know, he thinks of himself as a great product marketer as well. And he, you know, he is part of that messaging process. So, you know, let's say marketing is responsible for going out and doing all the investigation, talking to sales, talking to customers, gathering a lot of information, but certainly our CEO, our founder and CTO, the head of product, all these guys, they're all talking to customers every day, just as much as sales is, honestly. And so, we go do the investigation. We put together some frameworks and options, and then we hash it out. Like we really talk and argue and discuss, and um, and that's a discussion with the CEO, and the founder, CTO, and the head of product, and the head of engineering, like and the head of sales. You know, we all get together and come out with something that we can then test and refine.
1: That's really interesting. I'm I'm curious. What is the the setting in which you you create that? Opportunity for feedback from some of those other senior leadership team stakeholders. Because I, I think very often you come into these meetings and we have an agenda and it's more update the team versus, as you said, get feedback. How often do you do that as a CMO versus operating just in a silo amongst your marketing team?
0: I feel like one of the reasons that I'm successful is that I don't operate in a silo, which is the marketing team. I mean, honestly, like my first three or four months at Sysdig, we had multiple hour sessions like every week or every other week to hammer on this stuff together, right? We were all in this message creation as a cross-functional team. This wasn't a marketing exercise and uh, alone. We drove it, right? We shaped it, we drove it. We helped take out some of the extra words. But um, at the end of the day, if we're going through, whether it's preparing for a launch and we put together a positioning doc for the launch or we're updating the company messaging, uh, you know, we get that stakeholder group on the, now it's on Zoom or in a room for, you know, for an hour and we hash things through and we argue, we send it ahead, people read it, comment on it. And then we, then we kind of argue and discuss and agree on um, some of the key points that we think are critical. And that's what makes it better.
1: That's great. It's some great advice there. Great framework. We're going to take a break because we're already digging deep into your go-to-market. We're going to chat about more on that after this break and this message.
0: Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences.
1: When you start as a CMO in a new gig, very often you wanna go and refine the messaging. One of the things we hit on with Janet there that I think is so important is bringing in that senior leadership team and especially bringing in the CEO. Your CEO should have a vision for the company, both what it is today, but where it's going and ensuring that you don't just listen to what we do today, what we solve. Your messaging has to be aspirational and it should have that same aspiration that the CEO has that brought you into this gig in the first place. So make sure you have all voices at the table, not just marketing when figuring out your message Janet before we took a break we were naturally diving into the type of CMO you are and as you said messaging is so important and I'm I'm curious if you have a go to framework that you bring each time you come into a new company Or is it more about understanding what story do I have to tell? And how do I come up with this new messaging out of the blue, out of inspiration?
0: When I come into an organization, I kind of started to talk about it a little bit. Like, first, you have to understand what makes the company special, who the target customer is, right? What their pain points are, and how you make their life better, right? You kind of lay that out. And once you... Define. you know, I believe in this idea of category creation, right? And the net of category creation is, you know, you have to understand what is the situation that people are in today and what's the better future? Like, how are you going to take them forward? And then you can start to talk about the benefits, you know, and the house, right? But fundamentally, you got to, you got to lay all that out first. So for our marketing team, we have a master messaging doc. it's pretty simple. a lot of people use it you know some people call it a messaging house but you've got an elevator pitch, you've got three benefits and then three subpoints under that. that's pretty much what we use and it, it gives everybody a roadmap and then we add extra stuff you know kind of in there like here's some industry data points that you might want to reference or some proof points or you know some extra info that they might want to um, look at so, Christopher Lockhead and his whole category creation thing, um, you know, I'm I'm all about that. That is one framework I use if you look at that. I mean, he was my boss at Mercury um, when he was a CMO. Um, the second framework I look at is uh, there's a recent Trout framework that I think is helpful to think about. So it talks about focus, category, verbal nail, visual hammer, and slogan, and like visual... Hammer I think is the actually the hardest one but the best example of that is the Marlboro man that like embodied the brand. You know it's an old framework but I think he, thinking through that and and that book uh, recent trout wrote and then play bigger that Christopher Lockhead wrote those are both things that I look at and then the challenger customer everybody reads the challenger sale but the challenger customer is actually a really good book to talk about how do you take that idea of category creation and then drive it into deliverables that the sales team could use?
1: There's so many areas I could dig in on that answer. I mean, all those frameworks seem like they can round out a really consistent message. One that I want to just ask before before I shift the combo is that visual hammer, because I, you know, as soon as you said Marlboro, man, I, I know I'm envisioning that ad up on a billboard uh, still today. And and I can think of the same for consumer brands, whether it's Nike or or others. How have you managed to bring that into a more B2B environment? What has been a successful visual hammer at one of the brands you've been at?
0: I have to say that um, the visual hammer is the hardest thing with a technology brand. So I cannot say that it's successful yet, but I can tell you what we're using at SysTig. Okay. What we talk about is that we have cloud security from source to run. And, you know, the DevOps, there's an infinity loop that's like the DevOps symbol. And so we're using that with source and run in that. And then, you know, some other words that talk about that show like it's cloud security, um, you know, for infrastructure and it's container security as well. So but a simple kind of diagram and that source to run infinity loop we think is is going to be our visual hammer that that helps people understand that we're looking at that whole life cycle, that we close the loop from source to run. There's a lot of, then we can build on that and explain it. The Marlboro Man is iconic, right? It's hard to, you know, and the Nike. Uh, absolutely, you know,
1: no, but it, but I think <laughs> what you're saying makes a lot of sense. It's maybe in B2B, it's more trying to align with an existing framework or process or symbol that your customers connect with and showing how you layer on top of that, perhaps.
0: Well, the Marlboro Man would be a great example. Like he is a certain kind of cowboy and he's got a horse. They're just adding the cigarette.
1: True. True. It was it was something that people could connect to, whether they were that cowboy or whether they were aspiring to be that cowboy depicted by Clint Eastwood. So let's shift the combo a bit here. and. Connect it, though, to what you've walked through. And and the part that, that overwhelms me, because we've done exactly at Uberflip what you've described, which is make sure we have these really solid brand guidelines. And I bet you that everyone in our marketing team knows where to find this document that's the same as the one you've described. But how do you ensure that the rest of the company, as you scale, understands what that messaging is? You know, especially on your team, I understand that you're hiring salespeople left, right, and center, the company's growing at an amazing pace. How do you keep up to ensure that everyone tells that same message?
0: Well, I say that, you know, we are hiring at a tremendous pace and it's not 100% nailed today. What, what we did, um, I'll give an example. When I was at Nimble Storage, what we did was we did a contest for everybody in the company And uh, that was around the elevator pitch. And so we we said, here's the elevator pitch, but you need to kind of make it your own and you need to think about the context. So are you talking to somebody that's, you know, your neighbor at the grocery store, or are you in a trade show booth talking to somebody who is actually, you know, in IT, right? What we did was a contest where people just on their iPhone would record a video of them, you know, saying the elevator pitch and that helped to reinforce it. Made it kind of fun. We did contests in the field as well. People and their managers, and they'd, you know, they get scored or whatever. But um, and we gave prizes. <laughs> so <laughs> I think making it fun is important. On the Systex side, what we're doing is putting together an enablement program that has a 101, 201, and a 301. Where the 101 is that like basics around both the industry because we're in an industry that you know, some people don't know what the heck is going on yet because it's changing really rapidly and they haven't been in cloud and container security. So 101 is for everyone in the company. And then 201 is for the sales team, manager, and SEs. And then 301 is just for the SEs and the the technical customer success team. So we get a tier of that, but we want everybody on message with that kind of a program that they can go through uh, to get what they need.
1: Interesting. Now, for people listening in, I, I know the scale of Sysdig is over 600 employees today. So you may have the luxury of having someone to own that enablement piece. The, the question I have for you is, how do you ensure that what they're out there producing aligns with what your content marketing team is producing? Do you have good synergies between those groups to ensure that, in some cases, maybe you can reuse
0: content or steal content one from another? To be clear, the enablement team is not generating the content. They are managing the process and the tools and really making sure that there's, um, you know, reinforcement and okay. some accountability. So it's a partnership, and it in every company, the enablement and product marketing partnership has been really tight, right? So you have to bring in subject matter experts. They may be SEs, our systems engineers in the field. They may be our product marketing team. You know, when we do a new hire training, the whole exec team should be talking to these people <laughs> so it's not about the enablement team taking our content and changing it we're giving them our content and then the delivery mechanism is the enablement team
1: interesting so so back then to your organization is that content creation Given it's so much about messaging, is that more in your mind on the content lead or is that more on that product marketing lead and path you've had in your career?
0: So, we don't have a content team. We have a product marketing team that's pretty big and we have people that are generating more technical, you know, technical marketing managers, product marketing, and we have content engineers that actually, you know, cloud and container security is really early. So, these people are just educating kind of without the product in there, but educating on the market and what are best practices and how do you solve real problems? So product marketing is the content team.
1: <laughs> That's interesting. And, and it's, it's very aligned. How, how do you make sure though, that, you know, this is maybe a tough question, but how do you make sure that that product marketing team finds the line between being a thought leader thought provoker versus here's what the product does uh you know that's the question always that that i think we find is and more traditionally as product marketers always put product first in theory content teams have learned to not do that is, is there something that you've been able to guide your product marketing team to tell the story as you've highlighted being so
0: important Okay, so the product marketing team is part of creating this master messaging doc. And I didn't mention the section that we have in there, which is industry context, but that's really, you know, so it's industry context, elevator pitch. And the industry context is where you have the opportunity to talk about your point of view, right? What is going on in the market that makes it important that we solve the problem that they're struggling with and how you solve it kind of in a theoretical way is, is what you talk about in the industry context before you get into the product and the company. We have divided our team up more along the buyer's journey. So if you think about epiphany and awareness, the thought leadership content, it's, you know, as I mentioned, some of the content isn't even product content. Like it is explicitly not product content where we might mention cystic and things like that, but it's really about someone is looking for an answer to a question that they have or a problem that they have. And they, it's like, it's the what is kind of questions that you get in Google search, right? And then there's leadership articles and all that stuff. So those people, it's not that they don't generate any product content, but you everybody kind of, there's a lot of overlap, but fundamentally we have people that focus on the early stage. We have people that focus on kind of that awareness to conversion. And then we have people that focus on material that dives more deeply into the product to help you close the deal. And, you know, once you're in consideration, really trying to understand the product in detail, you know, that's a different level of depth. So we, we segment people's roles, but even the content that talks about how we do something and helps you understand the depth needs to have that little framing of the point of view. Like everything should kind of be framed by that point of view and the value that Cystic delivers.
1: That definitely helps. I, I think it's it's a, a very natural way to bring these two groups together. And I think in some organizations, we actually see confusion between what product marketing and content they're creating. So I, I think it's a, a very forward thinking approach. And, and I like how you explain the, the play of the vertical specifically, or the industry, and how that really adds the context to how the solution can be applied. Janet, I'm really enjoying this combo. We're going to take one more quick break and we'll be back with you with a few quick rapid-fire questions. Since recording this with Janet, I couldn't stop thinking, what is our visual hammer? Mine at Uberflip is probably either our happy smiley face that makes up our logo, or maybe it's even the silly swag item that we've given out for years, which is this iconic pink headband. But it's really something that we should obsess about. How does someone associate your brand? What comes to their mind when they hear your brand? Is it an image? Is it a function? Is it a framework? There's an opportunity there to become top of mind, but to do so, we have to make that mental connection with every one of our customers. Janet, I've got a few more questions for you here that kind of merge the first two parts of our podcast. And the first one looks at who you predict will be the next CMO. As you think about people on your team, people you've worked with, do you think someone needs to come more through a specialty or more as a generalist today to jump into that seat?
0: As I think about succession planning and being a CMO, my observation is the CMO job changes really quickly because sometimes the business needs different things. But fundamentally, whoever is CMO needs to understand both content creation and demand generation.
1: I love that. Uh, And I couldn't agree more on the content piece, which takes me to my next question so naturally. And that is what content gets you to click these days? Uh, As a CMO, when you're sent something, what is the appealing element that gets you to follow through?
0: Honestly, I'm interested in educational content. I want to learn. So it has to be something that's going to help me do my job better on a day-to-day basis.
1: Understanding the importance of educating you, I, I feel like you're also saying it's got to be personalized. It's got to be meaningful. What elements do you expect when you think about this idea of personalization today? Beyond, say, that they know your name in the email.
0: I think they need to understand what I care about in some way. There are so many people that say, I just want to talk to you to understand your strategy. Like, I don't have time to explain my strategy to everyone. I want someone who understands what my challenges are and can give me some information that helps me deal with those challenges.
1: Interesting. So I I know that in your organization, BDRs report into marketing, uh, and I'm curious, based on everything that you just said, what's one tip that you give to your BDRs to get them to break through?
0: We know that um, connecting with someone personally, as well as connecting with um, what they need to learn is important. And so, you know, looking at LinkedIn, really understanding who this person is as much as they can before they try to reach out and have a conversation, I think is important. And then give them something that's going to provide immediate value to them.
1: That's great. And, and now you've got a podcast out there, so people should know that messaging is important to you when they reach out to you. Now, my last question is maybe the toughest, Janet, and that comes to balance. How do you balance the busy requirements as a CMO, a company that's got over 700 customers, 600 employees, a massive
0: marketing team? How do you balance that with personal? You know, balance is something that everyone struggles with. And the way I think about it is at different stages in my life, I've had different priorities and different ways to approach it. You know, when my kids were little, part of balance was saying, I'm going to leave at five. And therefore, I'm going to make sure that what I do before five are the highest priority things, you know, you divide out urgent and important. And then, you know, I get back online later. But take the time, I used to do sleep away, the sleep away trips with my kids, because that was the no cell phone, you know, I'm just going to go away for three days. So you just have to figure out what works for you. But But you have to Think as strategically about how you're going to use your time with your family as you think about how you use your time for your job.
1: That's so well put, and I I always say the same thing. If you don't schedule in time with your family, it's not going to happen. Just like if you don't schedule in time with one of your direct reports, you know we do that to ensure that you know we have that regular sync. Janet, so much great value you provided today. I can't thank you enough. For anyone who's listening and enjoyed this, check out all the other great episodes we've had here on this podcast. Every CMO's path is a little bit different. I'm sure yours is taking its own journey, and maybe one day you'll be on here to share. Until next time, thanks for tuning in.